In today's episode, we're reflecting on the things we wish we knew before we became fathers. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papa Ifatige podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. For today's episode, we thought it would be fun if our future selves could go back in time and give advice to our soon-to-be dad selves. So first of all, here's my deal. I'm Dave. I have an eight-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy. I'm Jim. I've got an eight-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl. So let's just uh, get into it. I mean, I think the first question that would be interesting to kind of hear about is how prepared were you for your first child? You know, did you do a lot of research? Did you talk to other dads or, or did you just sort of wing it? So I was prepared in the in the sort of logistics kind of way. You know, I, we did the, the test drive to the hospital. I read about the birthing. We did the birthing class. Uh, so I felt like I was prepared logistically for the event, but not necessarily for the next three months, let's say, or the next mm-hmm. six months after that. And I really, the most helpful resource was a couple other dads that I had at the same time, the kids that were born within two or three weeks. There was a couple guys in our birthing class and then some neighbors and some friends that also had kids that were born around the same time. So we kind of, if nothing else, it was kind of emotional support that we were all kind of going through the same thing at the same time. But that's not necessarily preparation. That was more kind of dealing with it in the moment. Um, I wasn't prepared in the way that people talk about. Are you prepared to be a parent? Maybe emotionally or psychologically or whatever it is. There's a lot of things that I was not prepared for, and I could have done things to to get smarter about it. But I also think it's the kind of experience that you don't understand until it happens or until mm-hmm. you do it. So mm-hmm. um, that's just something I learned along the way afterwards, obviously. I'm curious, you said that there were people in your birthing class from the neighborhood. How did that work out? Like my birthing class was just a bunch of random people from the hospital <laughs> going to that was, hospital. Uh, there was one guy who I had uh, I had come across in a, in a business uh, context. And then I found out that he lived in the neighborhood and then I like ran into him on the bus and then he was on the birthing class. And then, you know, I, I, I ran into him at the hospital and I was like, well, I guess we're just supposed to be friends. I guess that's, that's just how it's supposed to work out. Uh, so I think it was just coincidence that, huh. uh, that we ended up in the same place. That's interesting. So um, like you, my experience, and, and I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it until you sort of made it very clear that I was really very much focused on just that first day, right? Like just exactly. getting through the process the, of having that kid. The moment. Right? Yeah, because I think part of it is there's all these things that lead up to the moment. We've, we've talked about in the podcast, in previous podcasts, right? Because so we're getting ready for the birth. And, and so there's a very distinct moment that you're sort of, there's a goal, right? Like, uh, we're just preparing for this thing. But yeah, you absolutely forget that there's this whole continue. It's not a distinct event, right? It's just the beginning of the whole process. And so, yeah, I mean, I sort of had done some research in the, you know, what to expect while you're expecting. And we also did the birthing class. So, yeah, I, I felt pretty good about everything leading up to the event. But I absolutely did not prepare for sort of the parenting part of it. Um and, and I guess if you think about it too, you know, the actual birth process, there's not a ton of us as, as dads to do. Like the real work, I think, begins the, the, you know, the minute after that child is born. And I would say that I was woefully unprepared, but, but I do think that there are some sort of natural instincts that just sort of kick in. Mm-hmm. And I think also if you sort of had, had planned to become pregnant, I think you also sort of have in your mind... Uh, kind of some of the ways that you want to parent. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my wife, like, all right, which one of us is going to be the disciplinarian? 
and I'm pretty sure that we both decided it was going to be her. And oddly enough, it's me. You know, so it's just I'm like, how did that happen? But you know, there are some of those conversations I think that you have before that are maybe sort of the the precursors to the parenting conversations that you have later on. But I was absolutely focused on this is the day this child is going to be born, and let's just get to that point. And then everything else is like, in some in some respects, I like guess sort of catching up to what's happening and learning on the fly. Um, and and I guess, you know, one thing in particular, and I'll, I'll get a little bit more into it later on, is the whole sort of, you know, now that your child is born, hey, by the way, you need to get up every, you know, mm-hmm. to wake that kid up every two hours and, you know, just all of those things, right? And so that's when you're kind of learning on that portion gets massively accelerated. Uh, but yeah, I, I was very much focused on the actual event itself. So, you know, looking back on that, what do you wish that you had known before you became a father? What I didn't expect, and you know, to your point about the about the event, or to be, you know, you were talking about just the event in the day, and I think I was more prepared for the day than than anything else. And I think what I've reflected on before is that the the mother becomes a mother over nine months. And I think dads just become dads the moment the kid's born, you know, and and in some ways that's not true, but mostly we are support for the mother Mm -hmm. and the mother's developing this nurturing relationship. And then all of a sudden we're dads. Mm -hmm. And so I think that preparing for that moment was more of the the emphasis for me. And as you said, trying to figure out what we do as dads after the fact was was a little bit more confusing and a little bit more uh, as I drink it from a fire hose. And Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing that, that I guess that I didn't expect about being a parent and it's not necessarily being a father, but being a parent is how much it would change my life. And yes, it changed my life in the way that people talk about religious experiences or like they talk about becoming a parent, but it really changed my life in like the day to day, uh, you know, the, the schedules, as you said, getting up every three hours, the demands, the obligations, the, you know, the responsibilities, the larger responsibilities, like I got to stay healthy, you know, and the smaller responsibilities, like I got to get home on time. I can't make that extra phone call or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously the sleep changes, you know, we've talked about that and how, how demanding that is at the very beginning. Um, and then all the, the sort of waterfall consequences of that, those realigned priorities and how that changes, um, changes the, the things that I'm going to do uh, for leisure, you know, mm-hmm. and the things, uh, how I use my free time and things like that. What was very clear to me was when the second was born, I was, it became clear to me how much I was trying to hold on to some sort of semblance of control, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, I had my exercise schedule, I had my work schedule, I had my, you know, commuting schedule, whatever it is. And I was really trying to kind of force, do a mashup of, you know, of not being a parent and and the demands of being a parent. When the second was born, it's like, that's it. All bets are off. Like, this is not anything that I've I've got any control over at this moment. And that was, that was refreshing in a way. And it Mm -hmm. helped me understand how much I was kind of, I don't want to say I was fighting the process, but just trying to, you know, just grinding gears and trying to manage things in a way that I, that I obviously couldn't at the time. Um, The other thing that, and this is maybe something that comes later, but I did have those other dads that kind of, we formed a, a small community with, but I didn't understand how much my social life and my wife's social life would revolve around my kids. And that's not a, a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I think it's natural for parents to hang around other parents. The the friends that I had that were or are not parents, uh, they live different lives. They live different lifestyles. And, you know, they can spend their time differently. And they just, it just becomes a different medium for for social interaction. So 
whether it's my daughter's friends and how we interact with their families or whether it's just interacting with other parents and then, you know, watching our children interact that way. I just wasn't, I didn't realize that that was going to be the case. Um, and then all the other things that we, you know, that we talk about as parents, you know, the, uh, the all joy, no fun, they grow up so fast, where does the time go? All those things I had heard and sort of could intellectually understand, but it, it, again, it's not something that I could really understand without experiencing it. And it is, so in a way I can give that advice, but it's really just something to look out for it. So I don't think it's anything that you can really prepare for other than to know that it's going to happen. The, um, go ahead. Oh, so I, I wanted to go back on something you had said because it made me it made me think about something. So it, it sounds like between the first and the second, there was still this sort of um, uh, desire to kind of keep your 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 sort of pre-child life as intact as possible. And you, sometimes you hear about people saying, you know, um, I my life now revolves around the kids and I feel like I've lost the sense of self in some respect right now that, you know, everything is now about the kids. Did you ever feel like sort of you lost a part of yourself in, in, in having kids or that it was just sort of a maybe an evolution of who you are as a person? I think more like an evolution, but I have heard about uh, about how some parents have a grieving process mm-hmm. for, you know, the things that changed. I don't I don't think I had that experience. I don't you know, you said uh, try to force or try to hang on to my my life. And it wasn't really uh, that desperation kind of thing. It was more. Like, that's just what I did. You know, that was my schedule. That was my routine. That's where my head was. Like, I felt like I, you know, I had to keep things rolling in the way that they were before. Mm-hmm. Not in like, uh, uh, you know, like you said, like hanging on to an old self. That wasn't necessarily the case. But it was, like I said, just trying to mash up those two things. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think that it really affected me in that way. But I do know parents that have had, you know, some very explicit grieving around that and you know good for them um, that's i'm sure that's a healthy thing the other thing is I, the as i mentioned before right the sleep I, I think that for me the the sleep and and not really fully understanding the impact of the sleep deprivation was a bit of a, a you know there that was a learning piece for me i mean we did that episode uh, episode number two where we covered off on sleep and i think you know you lose like until you're uh, the child's six years old. You're basically losing sleep for the f- those first six years of your life. And then since we've had two, right, we get another extension. And the, the, I mean, just learning to live with not as much sleep as you want has been a little bit brutal. And I think that was a, a thing for me. And, and also the understanding how little time that you really do have. I mean, I really felt, despite all these parents, I stubbornly felt that well, this, this kid's going to sleep for, you know, whatever, 12, 16 hours a day. There has got to be time for me to get stuff right. done. And there just, there isn't. I mean, it's it's amazing because when the kid's asleep, it's like, all right, it's time to wash the clothes. It's time to do the dishes. It's time to clean up the house. Like all of the stuff that you're not able to get done, even when there's two parents trying to watch mm-hmm, one kid. Mm-hmm. Like it's amazing how much one kid can just uh, demand of your attention, certainly as two people. And I think also as you're both sort of like, Okay, well, I, I tried this. I, I, nothing I can chew works. What do you think? Right? You know, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of that parenting of as a team sport, and that loss of of time. And I think still to this day, the the sense of the fact that I don't have as much free time as I would like. To this day, I think is still a bit of a struggle that that I'm facing. You know, we discussed this on the the challenges of being a father podcast, and that is is one that I I really. It's not even that I underestimated. It's just I didn't realize that 
you know, here we are eight years later that I would still be going through that. And I think the other, I guess maybe the other part of that too, is that, you know, two kids is not two times the work. It's, it's right. like, it's way more than that. And I think exponential, that, right? Yeah. And I think that that's, that is something that I actually had not thought about when we had our second, I'm like, well, we already got this kid handled. Like how bad can it be? And you know, it's, it's way more than two times the work. So those are the kind of the, the sort of lack of time piece that I totally didn't get. Before being a parent, I'd have my goals, like the things that I was going to do today. You know, I'm going to do these three things today. And I had to change that to, I'm going to do these three things this week. And I think <laughs> at this point, it's, all right, these are the three things I'm getting done this month. And, you know, and some, uh, the goals and the projects are becoming more complex, obviously, but I've, I've had to really adjust my expectations about, about what I can accomplish. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned goals. I, I had this planner to keep myself organized. And, you know, this guy's like, here's all this knowledge that helps you live a better life and part of it is you know every day you know one thing that you should be thankful for and like if you think about it every day sometimes it's a struggle but there are some days i'm like i am thankful that my kids ate dinner like that is that is literally the the most thankful thing that i can be for the entire day like that is a win and uh tonight was actually a win like they ate really well (laughs) it's it's just like those little things along the way that you know actually you talked about this right i think that the other thing that I didn't recognize sort of pre-parenting was that the, I guess to put it in business terms, like all the ops of your life are just going to go, <laughs> like they're going to go sideways, right? Like the schedules and the meals and just the way that you've run your life, you know, up until the time that that child is born is all of it's out the window. I mean, yeah, maybe you can find a little bit of time for a workout, but you know, before I had kids, I worked out at night, like 10 o'clock at mm-hmm. night. Now I got kids, I'm working out at like six in the morning. It's not mm-hmm. ideal. It, it's the only time I can find to do it. And I think that if I didn't have kids, I'd probably still work out at night. But, you know, that's just, yeah, I mean, those are, that's all that operations related stuff about how they just kind of throw your schedule off of what you'd ideally like to have it be. Well, I think you had mentioned it earlier, and I think this is, this is also something I didn't realize. I was, and I think my, a lot of parents, I was concerned about what kind of a parent I would be. And I know that we all have modeling from our parents and from the other adults in our lives, but it was, I just didn't know. I just didn't know what kind of parent I would be. And what was surprising and maybe to a relief, uh, and you kind of indicated this earlier, is just how innate it is. And, you know, it's got to be some kind of hard, deep wired sort of biology about it. And uh, it was interesting to see how that played out and to really feel it and and to understand that, that, you know, there's a there's a deeper purpose. It's not so cerebral, you know. That's I guess that's what I'm saying. I th- I felt like it was going to be a cerebral thing, and it just wasn't. You know, it's something that's much more innate. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I have realized through this podcast, and and we've talked a little bit about this, is I think the sort of term that keeps coming to mind for me is sort of the phrase of intentional parenting, right? So there, mm-hmm. there are certainly uh, some innate things. And then I think once you sort of have gotten, again, if you think about sort of that Maslow's hierarchy, right? Once, once you've gotten down, okay, I can change the diapers and I can feed the kid. And then, you know, as they get older, okay, I, you know, I, whatever, I can communicate with the child. You know, I think at a certain point, then you can kind of start, you can get in front of the problems, right? This is some of the stuff that I think we try and do is like, okay, you know, we know that when they're nine, the girls are going to have, there's going to be more pressure to, you know, move away from sciences and, and math and stuff like that. And so we're trying to do what we can now to kind of make sure that they are not going to shy away from those areas if that's something that they want to do. And I think that intentional parenting is so important to kind of 
there are certainly things that uh, I've backed into, like from a parenting perspective. But I'd like to think that most of the decisions that I make are intentional. There's a reason behind it. It's not that, well, this was the easiest path, but that there is a an actual end game that I have in mind when I say, hey, this is why we're going to do X or this is why we're not doing Y, is that it really is sort of an intentional thought through thing and that you know even the types of board games that i pick it's funny we had a friend that gave us a board game and we were cleaning up the house recently i'm like i just want to get rid of this thing so badly like i don't feel like it yes it sort of entertains the kids but i don't feel like it adds any educational value whatsoever and truthfully i mean not all games need to be like that right but Mm -hmm. every single one of the games that i purchased and we must have around i don't know 30 or 40 in the house these board games and card games, there's a very specific reason. And I can look at any of those games and say, this is why I bought that game. And this might've been something I bought two or three years ago. This is why I bought that game. And this is what I'm hoping that the kids will get out of it. And so that piece about, I think there certainly is something to sort of the um, innate ability to parent. And then I think, you know, again, what, what I've sort of learned through this podcast is also, I feel like there's also a level of intentional parenting on top Mm -hmm. of that that says, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I know that this is coming down the line or this is where I'd like to be with my child in X number of years. Like, it's funny. I keep thinking about the fact that, you know, sh- she's almost going to be able to drive. I mean, sooner <laughs> rather than later, right? I'm like, oh, God, how am I going to teach this? And literally, there are times when I'm driving and I'm like, man, when she's older, this is an example yeah. of, yeah. you know, it's so just kind of being ahead of those things before they happen and really sort of trying to be proactive with how we parent, I think, is is also that's something funny. that I'm not, I'm also not clear that that's something that I thought about before being a parent, but I guess maybe I've sort of stumbled into that. And I think we both and, and, you know, Tim on the, on the podcast too, have sort of, this is kind of how we've developed as parents. The driving thing. It's funny. Maybe it's just that, uh, that our daughters are now eight, which is halfway to 16. Yeah. I've, been, <laughs> right. I've been thinking about that. I've been driving around and thinking how, you know, what neighborhood would I use? Yeah. Yep. Uh, what time of day would we? Yeah, it's it's funny that's come up. Yeah, you know, I, that, I guess that that leads me to I guess one of the other things that I've been thinking about is just how quickly time passes, and you know that that um, term, you know, the days are long but the years are short. I mean, so mm-hmm. so true. I mean, just blink an eye and she's eight, and mm-hmm. you just. I mean, I remember when when um, she was a baby. I mean, we used to go out all the time. And people would say, your baby's so cute. I'm like, I can bear it. Like, I, I kind of remember that because it happened enough. And I also remember it because it never happened to our son. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's just it's one of those things where uh, I think you just, you, I mean, I can barely remember what the kids were like as toddlers. And, you know, for my five-year-old, that was only a couple of years ago. But it yeah. just, it feels like so far away. And, and you know, I, I know that, you know, we're just going to wake up one day and, we're going to be sending them off to college. And I think it's it's shocking to think about that. And, and sort of recently, as I've been spending time with the kids, I am actually thinking as I'm like literally playing a board game or doing something, playing Playmobil or whatever, I'm thinking like, you know, when they're older, what are they going to remember about their childhood? And, and this goes back to, well, we haven't talked about this actually, but it goes back to something I've thought about. And I've, I've heard this with some grandparents that, you know, there are times when the grandparent will just, you know, you're kind of, they're, they're babysitting, but the, the interaction is really like, Hey, they're just watching YouTube with, you know, Mm -hmm. their grandchildren. And it's, it's very different. So like my mom, she's, you know, she's got a blog, you know, call me grandma where she does all this stuff with the kids. And I think that to me is what my kids are going to remember 
of her when they're grown up, that we had all these experiences together. And I remember that about my own grandmother, you know, even though she lived, you know, like whatever, 3000 miles away, we didn't see her all that often. But I remember when we were there together, we spent time together. It wasn't just like, all right, we'll watch TV while the adults speak. And I think that that's so important for me as, as you know, what I'm thinking about sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm so tired. I don't want to play another game or read another book. And I think, you know what? I, I hope that in 10, 15, 20 years, when they look back on their childhood, they'll have these memories of us reading together, of us, you know, playing board games and, and of me playing with them or going to the playground and those kinds of things. And I, I don't know why I've been thinking about that recently, but it, it really has sort of become a, it's not an all encompassing thing, but I think about it quite a bit now, which I, I think it's surprising. I don't know. Maybe it's the, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, a, a function of the, the sort of fleeting nature of, of life in general. Right. But, but that sort of, what will they remember of their childhood and, and is it what I want them to remember? Um, and just, it just passes so quickly. I've been, I think that's part of what this project is all about. Uh, you know, you and I, uh, and this whole discourse, I think it's a, for me, it's a, it's a process of mindfulness, you know, trying to really be present, knowing that these moments are precious and they're, they're passing by. And then as, as you said, to make it intentional. So when those moments are happening, what is it that we're doing? And I, I, I similar, I have a similar feelings about, um, you know, it, it, for example, the, the five-year-old, uh, I don't really remember a lot before I was five. And so everything that's transpired so far, it's interesting to think that that's just gone. That's just going to mm-hmm. be, you know, blank memory for her. So this is when she's really going to remember, you know, her childhood home and, you know, when things happened and where we went on vacations and things like that. And so I do feel, I feel like before that age, my job was to keep her safe and let her know that she was loved. And those were the things that she was going to retain, if, even if it's not intellectually. And now I feel like there is a, a real responsibility to feed that that experience mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's going to be healthy and and productive and and educational. You know, as you indicated. Mm-hmm. You know, one other thing about the sort of fleetingness of uh, of childhood that I think about is that each age is so dramatically different as you pass from one stage to the next. And I, I guess I hadn't recognize that before it started to happen i mean my neighbor she's got you know three kids and she's like they just they move so quickly and that person that you knew at age three is gone at age four and Mm -hmm. is gone at age five and they you know and so you you get to know this person and then in a blink of an eye they're a different person and it sort of keeps happening and my guess is right around I don't know, probably when they're in their mid-teens is my guess. It starts to slow down, right? Like there's there's a little bit more consistency in who they are. Or there, I don't know, maybe there might not be. I mean, we're not there yet. But <laughs> it, I mean, it feels like at this stage, right? Because they're just, they're growing in their brains. I mean, their brains are growing all the way up and, you know, for a while. But my guess is that the, at this stage, the changes happen faster. And so if you don't sort of cherish those moments, those little things are gone when you blink. And... You know, I remember people saying terrible twos and everything, and thankfully we avoided the terrible twos, but I kind of feel like every age is my favorite age because there's always something new about the child, even if you've already gone through it with your first run, right? right? Even seeing the second child move from a crawl to a walk and from a walk to a run. And, you know, I mean, just the other day, he's like, look, I can you know, jump on one foot and he actually can't yet, but he's trying, right? You know, just those mm-hmm, little mm-hmm. things and, and you see how also their 
just their their mastery of their body changes and and their just their intellect and the kinds of the words that they're using and all of those things it's just it's interesting how quickly those things happen and that if you blink and if you assume that it'll be there forever you're going to be disappointed when it's gone mm-hmm. because it just happens so quickly yeah there's a phrase that i picked up earlier and it may be a little melodramatic or romantic or sappy or whatever but i feel like i feel like the, summing up parenthood is is uh, uh is one continuous heartbreak where mm-hmm. i just fall wholly in love with this little girl and then the next day she's gone mm-hmm. but then i'm wholly in love with that one yeah and then it changes and and you know back to the mindfulness i think that's the that's i, I and again maybe teenage years are going to be different but i don't really I don't miss the prior ages. It's not like, well, this one's terrible. You know, back when she was three, it was better. <laughs> you know, this, as you said, every age is pretty precious. But um, uh, but it's just a matter of just staying precious, staying in the moment, you know, and enjoying them when they do happen. And I, and I agree that the changes are profound. And, and day to day, we may, I may not recognize it, but, well, week to week maybe, you know, month to month, certainly see the changes, developmental changes. One other thing that my neighbor had said early on, because we moved in a little bit before our, um, our daughter was born, she said, you can never have enough photos. And and yeah. I actually found that uh, even though I take tons and tons of pictures, it's still not enough. I mean, when our first child was born, we used Tiny Beans, which was an app. That I think uh, Google Photos wasn't even out yet. And so Tiny Beans was basically it was just an, an app that reminded you every day to take a picture, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. a great. And also this was the time when people were doing all these like 365, you know, kind of like retrospectives on their life in one picture a day. And um, it was also nice to be able to share with parents that were living abroad and that kind of stuff. And we used it regularly. And, and to this day, even though my daughter's eight, I'm still getting the sort of flashback emails from Tiny Beans. And it's... Uh, Honestly, it's probably the only email that I open religiously when I see, you know, mm-hmm. flashback and everything. And I, I look back, but we didn't do it for our second child. And I I regret it. And it's not to say that we don't have photos of him, but I do like that app that it just constantly reminds you. And it does it more so than even Google does. I mean, Google does it too now. But I think uh, Tiny Beans has a more sort of regular routine way of doing it. But I think that the, the, the point about Tiny Beans is that there is a, by re- trying to remind you, or not trying to, by trying to make you take a photo every day and remind you to take a photo every day, there are those things that you would have otherwise f- either forgotten to take pictures of or like, oh, uh, I've got plenty of time. You know, I mean, there, there are two very distinctive things that I have always wanted to get back and I, I didn't take those pictures. But one was, you know, when our son was learning to run, because they have that sort of funny mm-hmm. sort of gait when they're learning to yeah. run right it's like almost like a horse like they're kind of galloping <laughs> and i i always i always liked seeing him do that and i i don't think i really have any pictures or videos of that and then the other one was um a video when he was learning to spit because actually for a while i was concerned that he was swallowing the toothpaste because he just couldn't spit mm-hmm. and i would tell him to spit and instead of spitting he would say spit <laughs> that's not it but okay but i i just thought that was so precious and i was like oh i've got plenty of times to do this and you know what it's that is only a memory i had never yeah. did the video because i'm like well we do this every single day every night he does this and then one day it was gone and yeah. it just never comes back and and they they change so quickly that you know you you just I don't think you really recognize how fleeting that moment is until it's gone. Mm-hmm. And then by that time, it's too late. And I think also maybe because he was the second one, 
and I was taking so many pictures with the first, I figured, oh, well, there's there's still time. Like, I think it, it might have further impacted my or, or informed my thought that there was time. And, you know, I think what I've realized now is that also through Tiny Beans is that photos don't always need to be some vacation or celebration right. or some special moment, right? It's the it's the sort of banal daily life that, that is important. And I think we talked about this in the very first podcast about how to interact with your grandparents during COVID, but I got my parents a, a, a digital picture frame, a Pixstar. And um, it's so easy to use. And I've got so many photos that are just sitting on my computer. I'm like, I'm going to buy one. So, you know, I'm going to order one. And because it integrates with Google Photos, I can simply share my albums, which is how I've organized my photos anyway. And since I'm sharing them for my parents anyway, so at the end of every month, I basically just go through the previous month's photos, pick out the best ones, and then send it over to their frame. And so since I'm already doing that for them, I may as well do it for myself. But I think that's, you know, it's important to also have a way to display those photos other than like, you know, here is the, Mm -hmm. you know, kindergarten graduation that was so special. And, you know, again, I think that, the 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 uh, the special moments are actually the the daily life moments. I mean, because right. we can. I mean, I I can remember the vacations because they were they're special moments, mm-hmm. right? But it's, it's vivid. The, right. It's the daily stuff that you forget about unless you have that memory. And I think that by having those photos popping up, whether it's a digital photo frame or otherwise, it just kind of gives you that reminder that oh yeah, I remember that thing and. I mean, just even sometimes when I'm on Google Photos, just sorting through, the kids will come by and sit on my lap and we'll kind of go through the month and they'll, oh, I remember that. And, you know, it's just that way to sort of jog everyone's memory. And, and it does sort of reinforce, I think, the family group, right? What you have done as a group um, and, and the things. And again, it, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be the special trip. It could be the, the fact that, all right, you know, last Friday we, we ate on the floor just to do something different or, you know, I don't know, whatever, pick flowers or whatever it was. And, and I think that's so important. And it, it is something that I have probably neglected a little bit more uh, than I should have. I mean, I have a couple digital photo frames, but because you have to like stick it on the memory card and or, it's just, it's such a pain to organize that. And um, so I think that's one of the big takeaways that I have or that I would tell my, my younger self is get that frame and get it set up sooner rather than later. I did get that, that advice from another dad to just pick up the phone every once in a while and just just take a video of what's happening right then. You know, a short one-minute video or two-minute video of, you know, they're just reading a book or, you know, we're just playing on the floor or just nothing. It not, not a special moment. Not because something hilarious was happening or they looked really cute or because mm-hmm. we were on vacation. It was just, just, you know, something that happened that day. Mm-hmm. And I've also fallen out of practice of doing that. But it's it's interesting to look back at those things because it captures that essence of the day to day that we. That is that that's slipping away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think also that if you are if your plan is to sort of take pictures of the that daily routine, it does make you more mindful about what's happening in your day because you're like at least for me, I think oh well you know is this a time to take a picture? And it just yeah. makes me sort of appreciate those moments a little bit more, I guess. Uh, that hey you know this might be the time or maybe not or this might be the time. But there are days, weeks where I go without taking pictures. But on, in general, I. You know, I would say I probably have, you know, a picture every two or three days, but um, the organization gets insane, which is why I have to do it right afterwards. But I, again, I think it it allows you to just kind of focus. Do you ever have, I remember people would say about parents who are taking videos of their kids in particular, like, oh, you know, stay in the moment, like get out of your camera and like focus on what's actually happening. I don't personally feel like 
taking a video of the kids takes me away from the experience because sometimes I'm not actually looking at the camera because it's a phone, right? Like it's, it's not like you have to whip out your massive DSLR. And so I'm not necessarily looking through the actual camera. I'm actually looking beyond it. So I just frame it and I just hold my hand still and look beyond it. But do you ever find that doing that takes you out of the moment? I, I don't, not with the, the kids. I was thinking about, uh, you know, like people who use their, their camera phone at like a concert or you know <laughs> at the fireworks or something i mean that's great to capture that moment but for me i'm never going to look at that again right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so in that in that moment it is taking me out of the experience mm-hmm. uh but similar to you and it's just uh you know i don't think it takes me out of the moment i used to have that fear or that concern that by be- turning into a photographer or videographer i'm not there to experience it but that's not true you know and i think maybe it's just practice as smartphones have become so ubiquitous and we all have got camera. I think I'm in practice of that. So I don't mm-hmm. feel like, I don't feel like I step out of the moment when I do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and thankfully so. And I, I think some of the videos are, you know, they're there to remind me even more so of the moment rather than supp- supplanting the moment. Right. And, and I don't think it has to be, um, you know, an epic video with the perfect lighting. I think that's where people also get caught up in the lost in the moment because they're like, well, the lighting's not right or I got to move over here yeah, to get the better right. angle. It's like, no, no, just just get it on camera. Like, who cares? Like, it, it's great if you can be, if you've got an eye and you can do all that stuff. But I think that's to me, because as you talk about the concerts, I do think about when the kids were sort of pre-COVID in school and they would have their sort of after school or uh, end of the year you know, concerts where they show off all they've learned. I do feel like sometimes I did get a little bit taken out of the moment because, um, you know, I got to get my camera in the right place and stick it on the tripod. And I, I know that other parents are expecting me to send, send the video out afterwards. <laughs> and it's like, am I an employee now? Like, what just happened here? So I think those are the the, the moments that, um, that, that are a little bit harder. And actually, I guess one other thing that I would tell myself... Um, my younger self is to as much as possible be involved in the school activities, like going into the classroom if that's available, mm-hmm. because that's what like this year, what I've noticed is I have no idea who's in my kid's class. There are kids in her class. I was like, I didn't, I didn't even know that kid was in your, it's a small class. It's like, it's like what, mm-hmm. 18 people. And I, I don't know any of these kids. And it's just been different because in years past, I always volunteer for the first Field trip of the year, I usually go on two or three because I volunteer to take all the pictures and stuff like that. So I know who the kids are. I know their quirks, especially when you're taking pictures of kids. You kind of get a sense of like which one are the hams and which ones you can get candidates of. And so it, it is a little bit of a, a view into all of the kids in addition to how your child is interacting with those other kids. And that's a view that you really don't get otherwise. You know, the... the um, the relationship that the teacher has with your child is so different from the relationship that you have with your child because they're free to do whatever they want. You know, they are going to push the boundaries or not, but that's a very, I think she's very different at school with her teacher than she is at home. And by going into the classroom, if that's available to you, you get a little bit of a glimpse of what your child is like when you're not there, I think. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, how the other kids are. Because, you know, at the end of the day, those are those kids in the class, they're, they're friends or they're mortal enemies or not. But it's kind of nice to get a sense of, like, who else is in the class and how they're all interacting. And I never, you know, if I had known that, 
I don't think I did anything in like pre-K three. And if I had really known that, I would have tried to have made the time, especially in pre-K three, as that was her first kind of year of school. I think the first time I was really in a class was uh, pre-K four or kindergarten. And and so I look back and go, oh, I you know I wish I had known that. And I think that would have just been an interesting opportunity to see what she's like. Mm-hmm. So the last thing for me, I think, in terms of things that I wish I had known before being a parent was not to sweat the little things, like really the milestones. And I, I see this all the time on, especially on Reddit for new parents that are like, you know, my kid is one week behind the milestone. Do I need to go see the doctor? It's like just, <laughs> that is a new parent question. Like, calm down, you know, like milestones, like you know, it, don't, don't stress it out. It's, it's a guideline, right? It's, it's plus or minus. And just because your kid hits the milestone before does not mean they're a genius. And just because they hit it after, doesn't mean they're going to need, you know, work after school and need to see a tutor or a specialist or whatever. And I think that, you know, it's, it's one of those things, I think certainly as a new parent, if you're into guidelines and milestones, I think all new parents are right. Like we all talk about you know, their ages in, in months because that's how all these things are measured, which is just weird as opposed to, you know, a year and a half or whatever. But, you know, it's like that's just a little bit more, um, uh, just a little bit more uh, like refinement on, on how to measure my kid's age and to understand whether or not, you know, they're hitting the milestones at the right time. And, you know, again, it's I, I, look, if you're multiple months past the milestone, then yeah, absolutely, you know, you should be talking to your, to your uh, pediatrician. But, I think the importance of the milestones is really overstated for new parents and that that is one thing that we did worry a little about. Oh, is she turning over yet? Has she crawled yet? Is it first words yet? And honestly, I don't remember where she was in any of that spectrum, but she's doing fine. You know, he's doing fine. <laughs> Actually, our son uh, was a slow talker. Um, because he at the time was exposed to five languages. And I'm like, I, I, re- I remember every time we go to the pediatrician, I would say, okay, look, this is a thing that I am moderately concerned about. And, you know, what do I need to be watching out for? And every single time I'd go in with that for, you know, a couple of years. And I've talked to, you know, the school psychologist and like, what do you think? And just like, I've randomly met people in like child development. I'm like, hey, here's my deal. Uh, or here's my kid's deal. And like, that is one that I absolutely did. And, and again, it's one of those things where like, you just, you don't need to sweat that, like when they're ready. And, and, and again, because every kid's different because of different exposure, right? Monolingual versus getting five languages, right? They're, they're going to vary on those milestones. So just don't sweat it. And um, mm-hmm. I think that is one run point of uh, a lot of stress for, for parents. I agree. And I think it was our pediatrician that really guided us. I would have been over-concerned with milestones if we didn't get that coaching from the pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, the, you know, the other thing that I think about too, because you see this all the time on like roundups of funny parent tweets of the week and stuff like that is um, the eating stuff, right? So I've, we've talked about this a lot, actually, that I kind of feel like I've trained my kid that this is a restaurant. Oh, you're not going to eat that? Well, let me serve you this. Like, what will you eat? And if I had to do it over again, I really would have worked because I think this is more of an issue of both spouses being on the same page is, is that I really would have kind of tried to talk to my wife a little bit more about why I think it's important to be like, look, eat this or don't eat. 
because you know here we are now even with the eight-year-old you know she's got whatever eight years not quite because she doesn't understand all that but maybe three solid years of saying oh well if i don't eat this thing i'll have another option and um you know there it culminated in one night i made four dishes it was only <laughs> supposed to be one dish i made four dishes and even tonight the kids wanted two separate things i'm like no you want the same protein so here's the deal you will either have to both agree on how i make that protein or I'm not going to make it for you at all. And you're going to eat this other thing that I'm planning on doing. And so they sort of compromised, but not really. Um, but it, it did work out where I wasn't making three distinct dishes. I made two distinct dishes, right? And I think that's part of the real struggle that parents have of saying, oh, well, you know, my kid's not eating. Your, your kid's not going to starve. They're just, mm -hmm. they're not, mm -hmm. right? And I think that this is one of those things where my wife and I needed to get on the same page earlier on. And I'm not clear that we're still necessarily on the same page, but I kind of feel like, look, he'll eat when he's hungry. And um, if it's not something that he likes, eventually he'll eat something uh, and they'll learn. Mm -hmm. And I think that because of that, that he just hasn't, he, he's grown up in a place where he's got options. And so now that we're trying to wean him off that, it's just that much harder, right? Because he's like, well, I don't want to eat that. It, there are, I mean, just this past week, he ate barely anything for lunch and hardly anything for dinner. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to sweat it. I just, I don't care. This is how I grew up. Eat it or don't eat it. It's not my problem. It's mm -hmm. not to say that I'm not going to feed him anything at all, right? But, you know, I'm making a fairly nutritious meal. It's not like I'm saying, all right, starve. But, you know, I think some of that also is, goes to speak to, certainly right now, he is... Uh, very stubborn and he won't even try stuff. I'm like, well, that's a problem. You don't have to eat it. You don't have to like it, but you have to try it. And if you try mm -hmm. it and you don't like it, that's different. Then I can find something else for you. But if you're not even going to try it, then yeah. you're not going to get anything else. And that's something that he has to learn. And, and that's something that, again, if I had to do it over again, I would absolutely have that conversation as we're moving the oldest one to solids and then just getting on the same page. We're making one meal She's going to eat it or not, but she'll learn. And in the long run, not only will it make our lives easier, but I think it exposes her, well, both of them, to a wider range of foods because I cook a whole bunch of stuff. So it, it expands their palate. And I also think it will, again, just get them to be more open to trying new foods because they know that this is it. You either eat it or you don't, even if it's new. And I don't make a ton of foods over and over again. So there's constantly going to be something new. And I think it's important for them to sort of have that mentality of, all right, I'll try it and, you know, we'll see what happens. So for more insights into our experiences with our firstborns, you can check out episode two on sleep deprivation that we mentioned. Episode four, we had a podcast on what to do pre, during, and post hospital stay. And episode 15, how to support new parents. We hope you found today's episode informative. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papaifatigue. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E. Thanks for listening. <laughs>